If you'll turn in your Bibles to Romans, you know, when we started this church, uh, people all said to us, because we had a mission budget, I'll never forget, they said, uh, you'll never build a church. You're giving too much to missions. Those who, I know Ernie remembers that undoubtedly behind me, you're giving too much to missions. And look what God did. And he's continued to do. And so we have to say, praise the Lord for his goodness to us. Uh, now, we've been talking to you from Romans, the first chapter, and uh, especially in the, in the early verses of the first chapter, because there's so much that is wrapped up in the first four or five verses of Romans. Naturally, as you open a book, uh, it's to attract you to the whole book. You know how people sometimes turn to the last page to see how the thing came out? Well, you don't really have to do that with Romans. Uh, it tells you right away how things turn out. And you know that this is the gospel of God. And that the gospel of God is the good news of salvation to all mankind. And you know, I couldn't help but think last night as I listened to the choir. I don't want to sing it for you. It wouldn't sound so good for me. But uh, there's a part there that really gets me every time I hear it because that's exactly what God says here when he says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto thee, and gospel is good news, the good news of God. And uh, last night as they sang, tell the good news, tell the good news, you know, and it has a fast rhythm. And I couldn't help but think, this is it, isn't it? Tell the good news of Jesus Christ concerning God's blessed Son. This is our job. This is not just my job to preach it from the pulpit that Jesus saves the human soul. It's your job. The job of the preacher is really to prepare his people so they'll be witnesses. If all my preaching meant is that you sit here on a Sunday and listen and take it all in, and then go home and all week live your normal life without ever witnessing to a soul around you, then this is the faith of which James speaks. Faith without works is dead. It doesn't have anything in it. It's faith, but it is dead in its active part, you see. It may be faith enough to save your soul, because faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross of Calvary is the means of salvation. But the Holy Spirit is to inspire and impel you to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. Now, Paul's day, if I could say, Paul's day was very little different than our day. You know, we're apt to think that Paul's day was so totally different from our day that how can we possibly match up with the kind of work the disciples did? Well, we can. It's all because we have gotten ourselves so bogged down and wrapped up in the world. People don't worry so much about souls anymore. They worry about whether they're going to have enough to eat on the table whether they're going to have enough clothing, whether they're going to get this thing or that thing. They worry about the financial condition of the country. They worry about the ecological problems we face. 
They worry about the international problems. They follow television day after day and watch the news broadcast. Why, more news goes into our head than has ever come out of the Bible. We turn on the news in the car and it's over and over again. There's one station that has news all the time. I think it repeats it every 15 minutes. And many men in their cars, that's the only station they ever have on. They think there may be something exciting coming along. But we get ourselves all bogged down. We don't see the glories of Christ. We don't see what Christ called us for. And the conditions in Paul's day were very similar to the conditions that we have today. And Paul here says that he was a servant of Jesus Christ, called an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Notice that's parenthetic in there. In other words, this gospel is not 2,000 years old. This gospel does not date itself from the birth of Jesus Christ. This gospel dates itself from the foundations of the world and is spoken in revelation by the prophets of old. But this gospel goes all the way back beyond the Jews, all the way back to Adam, so that we can know that the gospel is the gospel of sacrifice, that for sin, someone must die, and the good news is that Christ died for sinners. That's why, time and again, I say to you, Paul made sure that we understood what his message was. I would know nothing among you save Christ and him crucified. We're not to get this idea that it is by our brilliance or our amount of knowledge of the Bible that has saved our souls, as blessed as that is. But we're to remember that the point of our salvation was when we came to Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. It was mentioned afore by the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. There may be other scriptures that people speak about, there may be the Koran, there may be all of the others, but there's only one that is called the Holy Scriptures. And they are those scriptures upon which we depend, those words which have life in them. For God says, Jesus says, my words are spirit and they are life. And we are born again by the incorruptible seed of the word of God. That's how we come to know Jesus as our personal Savior. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. No other way. We can read books after books after books and praise God there's so many wonderful Christian books. But beloved, it is not those books that save your soul. It is the Word of God. God loves the world. God gave His Son. And this good news is concerning his son. Now, the world of Paul's day was much like ours. You know, the, the names were a little different, maybe, but actually the gospel that Paul preached, the same gospel is needed today. As I've said, if every preacher of the gospel of Christ, the gospel of God's dear son, 
was really on fire for God, was really separated unto God, the fire could not be held down in our churches. The churches would have a fire within them that people would sense because of the people they meet who come from that church. But a man to be in the pulpit of God must be born again, indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. He must be filled by the Holy Spirit of God. He must have the fire of God in his bosom so that the words are true. Hath he not made his ministers a flame of fire? And he is not able to do anything but preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I hear some people say to me, and I know some, I know some preachers have gone back into the business world. I hate to say it. It troubles me. But I know men of God that I've known for 15, 20, and 25 years now who are back in the business world after preaching for 10, 15, and 20 years. And someone will say to me, you know, they'll say, well, if they weren't a preacher, that fellow that's in that pulpit there would be a success in the world. Well, I want to tell you, if he'd be a success in the world, he ought to be in the world because he can't do anything else but preach the gospel of Jesus Christ if God has called him to preach that gospel. And so when you hear that statement, you know that, oh, they could be successful in anything they're in. Remember that Paul's words were, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what is for the preacher is for the people. Woe unto us. Woe unto us who will appear before the judgment seat of Christ to answer to God for what we've done with what he gave us in Jesus Christ. Woe unto us for the wasting of our times. Woe unto us for the fact that we use so little words for Jesus and we're so valuable when it comes to words talking about all the other subjects of the world. Woe unto us, beloved, if we do not do that which God called us to do. He did never call us, as I have said time and again, to be successful businessmen, successful in any venture of life, fame, or fortune. He called us to be witnesses for himself. And all he says to you is, if your business interferes, if your other life interferes with you, that which is good has become bad to you. For he that knoweth to do good, then doeth it not to him. It is what? Sin. So Paul's day was no different than ours. The conditions in the world at that time were really rough. The world was waiting. May I say this? The world was actually waiting for this revelation to come forth. How do we know that? Because the Scripture says so. In the fullness of time, what? God sent forth his Son. It was the perfect time. And in the day of Paul, the problems were tremendous. If any of you have read of the philosophers of that day, maybe you've read some of the statements of the different philosophers 
And I remember, I don't have it here with me, but reading this big, long statement talking about the young people. And I didn't realize, you know, until I got down the bottom and it says, incidentally, this was said by Socrates back in so-and-so. And he's talking about the young people and how wicked they are and how terrible they are and how disobedient they are. And it looks like it's right in the present day. The conditions were terrible in that day. Out in the world of, of uh, all the uh, heathenism of the day, the problems were tremendous. There were the Stoics. We have them today. The Stoics said, fate is unalterable. <clears throat> you can't change it. Life has an ultimate, ultimate conclusion which cannot be varied. It's determined beforehand. We're born to die, they said, and the course of life is to the grave. Nothing you can do about it. Unconscious existence hereafter, so don't worry about eternity. Does it sound like today? This was Paul's day. This was the polytheism, the heathenism of that day. Some of our own Christian sects today preach in a similar matter. It doesn't seem to matter whether they use the word of God or not, and Christ is never mentioned. I have listened to messages on radio sometimes, and I have wondered, where are we going? They're great philosophical discourses, but not once. I listened to a message the other day, and I dread saying it. I listened to it on WFME, and I waited for something to be said about the blood of Christ and the cleansing from sin. Beloved, I'm glad that on WFME nearly every single message has it. But I've gotten to believe that when they give something out, they give it according to the Christ that I love, that I adore, the one who redeemed me from my sins in his own precious blood. And when I miss a message that somehow fails to exalt Christ as Savior, and though the man may be considered a great teacher and has a mere philo philosophical discourse with large words that the common man cannot understand. To me, it is an absolute waste of time. And don't let anybody tell me that men ought to be able to use large words. They shouldn't have to. Jesus Christ never lose, used more than two and three syllable words in his whole gospel message. You never find any words that you don't understand. When people say to me, well, I'd read the Bible, but I can't understand it. Well, I think they're just casting that over the top, you know. They heard that it's hard to understand. But I want to challenge you, read the Gospel of John and you see if you don't understand what God's saying. You read any one of those epistles, you'll be able to understand what God's saying. There are no big eschatological words. That would be the second coming. But I mean, these things, you know, they have a lot of long words that they use. Soteriology. Why don't they say that's sin? We can go down a whole gamut of big words. And Paul says, it's not according to the wisdom of men that men are saved. He says, God hath chosen that by wisdom men shall not know God, but by the foolishness of preaching he will save those that will believe. That's how God decided. And we try to put all the other things in, you know. 
Big words. Flaunt the man. God deliver us. May we always be at a level where when I speak from this pulpit, there'll never be a word that I say that you will not understand. And the simplicity of the message of Jesus Christ in salvation is made available to all men, poor and rich, educated and uneducated, barbarian, Scythian, Jew or Gentile, bond or free, Paul says, the message is for everyone. And it's made knowledgeable to every soul so that no soul can ever say, I did not understand. You don't have any job understanding when it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed on him should not perish but have everlasting eternal life. Well, I don't think that's hard to understand, do you? To as many as received Jesus Christ, to them he has given the privilege, the power to be the sons of God. That's not hard to understand. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Thank you, Lord. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Praise unto the Lord. You don't have any problem understanding that. It's simple. It's clear. We shouldn't have to go into philosophical reasonings to explain to them the Son of God. God doesn't want to be explained. You can't explain God to people. He that cometh to God, what? Must believe that he is. That's it. And he's the rewarder of all those who diligently seek him. And this gospel of God has been made clear. They were the Stoics of that day. No life after death. I hear that all the time. When you die, you die. <laughs> well, I could give him a nice simple verse on that. It is appointed unto man once to die. And they'll agree with me there. they say, great, I knew that. And then, what? The judgment. You see? They'd love to take the verse, say, we agree with you, that's it, you know. All men die in unconsciousness after death. But all you've got to do is to read this word of God to know that Jesus said there would be a resurrection of life and a resurrection of damnation. He said both those that are saved are going to be raised, those that are lost are going to be raised. And both the saved and the lost are going to go on for eternity. There are those that say it's unconsciousness after death that the lost will never be conscious again. But Jesus says, where their worm dieth not. They go on and on and on. And I would remind you that after Jesus has cast the, the beast and the false prophet into the bottomless pit, after 1,000 years of the reign of Christ on the earth, they are still there and alive. And Satan is cast finally into that bottomless pit. But, beloved, we are to remember that God has made it clear so that the Stoic can understand there is a salvation in Jesus Christ wrought upon the cross of Calvary. The good news, tell the good news, Jesus saves, Jesus keeps, 
Jesus satisfies the human soul like nothing else or no one else can. And if you don't have joy in your heart this morning, you don't have peace, you don't have contentment, you're not on fire for Jesus. Oh, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God will take hold of your soul and instead of having that sad demeanor of eye and face and heart and mouth so that you look so droopy that the Lord could never use you. Lord, when I think how we people look on subway trains, you watch them and you look at them and you wonder, God, look at them. Sad, discontented. What a joy it is to see some radiance in the face and the eyes. Can you look at people's eyes and you know there's something about the eyes that speak of the soul, isn't it? The eyes are the gate to the soul so that there might be a radiance about us, so that people will see Jesus in us. We can speak of the love of Jesus, but it must be seen. It must be evidenced, so that the world knows that it's good news. It's a sad thing when people speak about the good news of Christ in some somber tones, or they look so sad. But oh, to speak of the joy of Christ, like I say to our visitation men when they go out, go out with a smile on your face. No sense going to the door and ringing the bell. You know, like that old radio program, I forget his name, Pierce or something, I think it was. But he used to ring the bell and he'd say, there's nobody home, I hope, I hope, I hope. But you go with that joy in your heart that you have something to tell them about. You're excited about Jesus Christ. And you want to let the world know that Jesus saves. Do you hear me, beloved? Jesus saves. I came into the world to save sinners. Sinners. I came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and go in and go out and find pasture. Yes, there were the Stoics. There were those who followed Plato, same as today. We use different names, that's all. Plato said all religions lead to the same place. Oh, boy, I've heard that time and again. How many times, well, I would ask the visitation men this, you know. I know they could give us good answers. But how many times you go and you talk to somebody, you know, and you're talking about Christ, and they'll say, well, isn't it great? We all have different roads, but we all end up in the same place. Well, now, that's about as silly a statement as I ever heard, you know? That's like, well, I'd like to see this kind of a fellow really operate this way in his life, you know? Go to Grand Central... You want to go to St. Louis, it doesn't matter much. You just get a train. Just get a train. Or go down to the airlines, you want to go someplace, it doesn't matter much. They all lead to the same place. Beloved, there's only one way. And Jesus says what? I am the way. The truth. That's the key. If he just said I'm the way without being the truth, you'd have problems. But he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and then I am the life. 
He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth on me shall what? Never die. Well, you can lay aside this old thing here. <laughs> Aren't you glad? I'm glad. I don't know how you feel. You probably feel better than I do. But I'm glad that one day I'm going to lay this thing aside. Because what Jesus is going to give me is going to be a million times better than anything I could have experienced in this life. And I don't care how healthy you feel or all the rest. And you may be in that prime of life, you know, and flexing those muscles and all the rest, but you may be the most beautiful girl in this place. I don't know. But I want to tell you it's not going to be anything compared to what Jesus gives you when he glorifies you. And you have a body fashioned like unto his glorious body, a fit vessel for the Holy Spirit to really dwell in then. Then all of the things of life, all of the pains, all of the trials, all of the agonies, all of the burdens, all past, sorrow, death, tears, all the rest, and glory with him. I want to tell you, whatever God calls upon you to do, you should be doing it. Wherefore, present your bodies unto God. Right? Let me read that to you because that's a glorious portion. Over in Romans, the 12th chapter, same book. Just turn in it. Romans 12. This is the thing that Paul is dealing with. The good news of the gospel and what it does and what it's to result in in the life of the Christian. Incidentally, if uh, those of you who like to study, I always did this when I went to business. This is Romans here. It costs five cents up in the American, uh, American uh, uh, Bible Society. And you can get any book for a nickel and you can carry it around with you. And it's so easy then, you know, to study it. Because you have this and you can take it out, slip it in your pocket or write it in your inside pocket of, your, of the shirt or something or your pocketbook. But listen to this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. You've received his mercy. By his mercy he hath saved us. That ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, beloved, this means something, a living sacrifice. Sometimes I think it's easier to die for the Lord than to live for him. Living for him really is sacrifice. It means separated from the world. It means to look like an oddball now and then to your neighbors and not to be ashamed of it. Paul had to tell them, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to every soul that believes. And I thus judge that I am a debtor to all mankind to say so. If this be true, I must say so. Now he says, present your bodies unto God, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Now notice these words, which is what? Your reasonable service. You're not to chafe at it. You're not to say, it's, it's too much for me. How can I give myself to God completely? How can I? You can do it in your business. You can do it at home as a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter. 
You can do it in business, and beloved, I know it because I was in business. And you can bear your testimony for Christ. If you can't take the time of the business, you can take it on your lunch hour where you can testify to someone else about Jesus Christ. And you can bear your testimony for Jesus in your business. And I want to say something else that I well remember in business. It was possible to do two things at once. God gives us a great capacity so that while you're working at your desk and even writing a letter, you can be having glorious thoughts about the Savior going on at the same time. Try it. It works. It works. You know what the doctors say to a man who has heart problems, you see. They gave me a list of things. And here's one of the things they said. They said, you must get away from what they call plastic thinking. Well, now I didn't know what plastic thinking is. And then they go on to explain what this is. It says this, you must get away from thinking two things or three things at one time because the mind is capable of doing this. I said, praise the Lord. I knew this was true about thinking of the things of Jesus and thinking of the things of business. That it's possible to do this. And doctors warn, be careful. Don't you think two things at one time. But I praise God, you can think about your business. You can think about your home. You can think about your love for your wife, the children. You can think about your love for your husband. And unless it's all tied up with Jesus, it's nothing. And you'll never know what life really means until you come all out for Jesus Christ. And I care not who you are. Until that life of yours begins to say, Jesus is all, as Ernie read before, he is preeminent in all things. He made all things. What did Ernie read? It says, he made all things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. All things were made by him. And what does it say? And for him. And without him was nothing made that was made. So you weren't made for yourself. How do you know that? Jesus says you've been bought with a price, with the precious blood of Christ. You are not what? Your own. Wherefore, present your bodies unto God to be separate unto him. Oh, beloved, they were the same kind of people in that world as there is in this present day. And yet that gospel reached out and turned that known world upside down. The world, it was the fullness of time. There was a hunger in hearts. They didn't know where to turn. Judaism had gone down terribly. It had a priesthood that was avaricious, it had sacrifices that were going on, and it was money changing in the temple. Everything was wrong. Bingo! And all the other things going on in churches. And here now we hear about New York. We'll open up all the gambling houses. Let's have roulette. Let's have everything. And we'll, that's what it is. The bill is up. We'll open gambling parlors on every block. That's what it is. The bill is up there already. And unless there's some protest from Christians to your congressmen, to the senators of New York State, that law is going to pass just as did the racing law. That world that they lived in is no different from our world. The religious community was dead in Judaism. 
The heathens were dead, completely dead in their thoughts of God at all. And into that world, God thrust Christ. And the apostles came forth, the disciples, with a message of the good news of God concerning his son Jesus Christ, witnessed to before by the prophets from the foundations of the world. It says, God knew all his works, everything he ever did. He knew every saint from the foundation of the world who would through that love of Jesus come to him. And oh, beloved, I pray this morning that right here amongst us there'd be a spark of fire come up in your breast. The fire from the pulpit is one thing. The fire in the hearts of the people is the other thing. You put the two together and you have a conflagration in a village, in a town, in a nation that cannot be put out because it's the Holy Ghost that does it. And may the Holy Spirit fall upon us in such consuming power. Let us pray. Father, we thank thee for thy blessed word, blessed to our hearts. Lord, touch us. We need the touch from heaven. And touch us, Lord, in such a way that our hearts will rejoice in Jesus and truly be proclaimers of the good news of the gospel of God. Lord, we think of the choir once more singing that, tell the good news, tell the good news. Father, we pray that upon us this morning may fall that great need in our hearts to tell the good news to somebody else before it's too late. Father, if any have come in without Jesus this morning, we pray that a decision will be made right now in their hearts. Lord, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. All I ask is for a heart that says, I want Jesus as my Savior. And if into your heart Christ has come this morning, if you just indicate it by putting your name on a card, we'll see that you get the good news course. We're thankful that's the name of it, the good news course from Moody Bible Institute. Father, touch hearts this morning in both ways, to salvation, to consecration, to dedication of life for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.